did you happen to hear about it? From some friends who saw it and thought it was absolutely marvelous. Probably I'll be very insulted. Rex Reed, Reed told us that it's uh, fabulous. Why would you come out at midnight to see it? Why go home at midnight? What are you going to see there? Fantastic. Third time I've been to it. It's an incredible head thing for people. Oh, it's marvelous. Absolutely. Most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Not to be believed. Absolutely outrageous. It was divine. Fabulous. I think it's the future of city living. Can't help it. Derek can't help it. <laughs> I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all Astral Ray DLC is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Listeners, you've all been convicted of assholeism, and you're about to be exterminated here tonight on Astro Radio Z. And what does that mean? What did you do? You decided to tune in to probably one of the bigger episodes we're going to do in our John Waters Director Series. The infamous Pink Flamingos is what we're going to talk about tonight. And, of course, we have the same crew of people that were on the last few episodes. We have Amanda. Hello. We have Mr. Andrew Shearer of Gonzerific Films. <laughs> we have Seth Powlin of CelluloidTerror.com. Hey, everybody. Miss Angelique Bone is back for some more. Hey, hey, hey. And we have some new blood here. This guy came at me on the Twitters and proves that if you beg me enough, you can come on Astro Radio Z. So Jeremy of the Hunnicow cast, he is on tonight to sit and talk about Pink Flamingos. Thanks for coming on. And I'm also going to be looking at everything in the room. <laughs> I sure hope so. I hope you make it nice and juicy. That's the only way I like it. So tonight, obviously, we're going to be talking about probably the breakout film, the ultimate midnight movie, Pink Flamingos. Now, a lot of people, when they say the first midnight movie, they refer to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But in all reality, this was what started the midnight movie craze. This movie was, if, I, if, if I'm correct, Andrew, was it like a year or a year and a half that this was playing midnights at, at a theater in New York? Yeah. I mean, I think it ran for a total of 10 at that theater when all of a sudden done. It's insane to think that this film, which many consider one of the most vile and reprehensible films ever committed to celluloid, caught on at that time. But if you remember, this is during the era when the porno chic was finally starting to roll around. So people were more open to seeing these kinds of experiences. Now, Seth, when was the first time you saw Pink Flamingos and what was your reaction when you saw this film? Uh, it was probably eight years ago. And um, I I had seen you know some John Waters films, but I guess I'd never seen the quintessential John Waters film and... I, I guess I got it. I understood everything, but uh, it certainly took me back. I was not prepared for what I had heard. <laughs> I was not prepared first time I saw this, but I'll tell you this. This movie makes me laugh almost 
unlike any other film on the face of the planet. A lot of people get grossed out by this movie, but I die laughing from beginning to end. This movie goes so fast for me. It's om- it's an hour and a half that seems to fly by in about 20 minutes. Now, Angelique, please tell me this wasn't the first time you saw Pink Flamingos. Oh, no. No, no. no the first time I saw this one uh, was uh, in 1999. I was in college. And uh, <clears throat> we had a little college cable channel, and they played it one night. And I happened to be flipping through and caught the very, very beginning and was just transfixed. What about it transfixed you? Everything. Like the whole – it was just so trashy. And then the things happening on the screen were just so incredible and horrible and hilarious and gross. And, and then that was my, my first real exposure to Divine, and I was like, I must have more of that. Now, I know the last couple episodes we sat and talked about Andrew Shearer's love for John Waters and the last two films. Andrew, when you finally saw, when this came around, you finally got a chance to see this. I know you've held Divine in such a high regard. What did you think of Divine in this flick? Divine is just transcendent. It goes from, you know, hot stuff. You know, if you're if you're not quite sure how you feel, at least, you know, Divine, he was kind of woman-ish <laughs> for, for uh, the other movies. But in this one, it just becomes otherworldly. It's some, some other kind of thing. Definitely sexy still, but there's so many sexy people in this movie, it's incalculable. But becomes a, a, the real icon of Divine. I saw it in 97 during the anniversary college uh, tour that John Waters did with it so I watched I watched that with a full audience and then uh, John Waters did a lecture and uh, the place emptied out at intermission which happened after the singing asshole scene uh, it was like they'd cut the air off in the room me i was just like god divine is the goddess of everything i wasn't going nowhere it's it's amazing that that's the scene that cut the air out of that room when there's another scene that happens before it that is just it, it's almost mood killing yeah. it's so like oppressively bleak and disgusting Apparently it was a collective, you know, it was all they could take. And I, I'm sure the University Union or maybe John decided that that was going to be where intermission happened. It was just like they just, you know, this was 97. This is, you know, years after all the gore and all the MTV. You know what I mean? And it's a college yeah. audience. I was like, for sure, these people are, you know, bored out of their minds. Nope. It's still very powerful. We'll always will be probably, but... You know, God, divine in those tight outfits. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the the dress that she's in at the end of the film that's on the poster is yeah. absolutely eye-popping. I John mean, Walter's that, poster. Did John, yeah, the John famous, poster. yeah, the famous John Walter's poster, which <laughs> listeners, you know my story about the John Water, Walter, the John Walter's poster from the 50th episode. We, we talked about that at length. 
So we won't go into that too much. Now, Jeremy, why don't you tell me about your first experience with Pink Flamingos? Back in 1997, a friend of mine, I was hanging out with him at a coffee house in Staten Island, and they were trying to promote like a Saturday night movie night, and he brought over multiple maniacs. I never heard of it before, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. And it was my first John Waters film. And I think you've already discussed that one. So I asked him, well, what else has he done? Because the only thing I knew that he had done was Hairspray, and I had no idea he made multiple maniacs. It's kind of like with Peter Jackson. He made Lord of the Rings. He didn't know he did, you know, Meet the Feebles or um, Dead Alive. So he brought me back to his house, and this guy showed me Pink Flamingos and then told me there was a 25th anniversary college show that was going on in New York, which I went to. And I probably saw this movie when it showed up on VHS and finally DVD, which I have, the out-of-print set, which also comes with um, uh, Female Trouble. And I probably have watched this movie so many times that I've actually burned out my original PlayStation 2 that had the DVD where, you know, like you would pop it in and it just all of a sudden, the you know, the – the thing would break when I was trying to eject the DVD. I almost lost that DVD. So I have watched this one between this and Female Trouble more times than counted. I think this is possibly one of the most interesting, ballsy, I don't give a shit what Hollywood has to say. I'm going to do whatever I want and like it before South Park, John Waters. And I think that this is one of those movies where you just have to turn... I mean, I have this, I have next to it the documentary Divine Trash. I did have for a while in poor taste from an independent film channel, which also... And then there was also a documentary about Divine that uh, was on Netflix for a while, and there was something on the E! True Hollywood story for an hour and a half. Anything that I can get my hands on. And yeah, I, I had heard that he was supposed to be on Married with Children as the mother-in-law. That second season episode where the family comes over. Right, right. And and you're, you're waiting for mom to finally show up, and, and then you're wondering, like, in the other episodes, why I just hear, like, a voice and don't see the... That was because it was meant for Divine, and unfortunately, Divine passed before they could ever put Divine on the show. So they did dedicate the episode to her, which was great. But I think the last great performance... I would like to say Hairspray, but I would actually have to go, if you've watched a documentary, Divine made a lot of albums and some good ones. I mean, Divine loved the party and Divine loved to eat. But if you can get your hands on those albums or see those concerts, God, they were they were memorable, man. Well, they're definitely not for the masses. That She was a very polarizing figure now, Amanda. Yes. You are what will be considered for the rest of this run pretty much a John Waters virgin. Yeah. We've run you through the ringer with the first two movies, which you have been fairly lukewarm at best to. <laughs> Gasp. <laughs> and we watched for the second time last night Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Now, walk me through what your experience was like with this before we get into the movie. I think the first time we watched it, you and I had only been dating for like a few months. And I thought to myself, 
what did I just get myself into? Because <laughs> we're like rolling around on the floor, dying and gasping and fat guy wheezing and just like losing fat it. Fat guy <laughs> wheezing? You know, honey, you know Holy I mean. shit. You know what I mean? Whoa. You wow, that's that? right in the feels. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, my feels. Oh, gee. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, did I just see someone get raped with a chicken? <laughs> no. So then we watch it. So then months go by. I I loosely choose to allow this to escape my mind, and then we watched it again last night in anticipation of the podcast. And I, oh damn it! There was a couple moments where I covered my eyes again, <laughs> <laughs> and I was so. There's just so, some moments in there that I'm like, ugh. Derek paused at one point because I'm just like huffing and moaning. <laughs> and, I, and we had a, a conversation about how, you know, these couple of scenes that we'll get to. And like I had mentioned. The we might as well have this episode. conversation right now and we'll open what? it up to everybody. But go it's ahead. All- Oh, in the previous episode, we had ta- I had talked about how Derek has always been a really good steward to me of telling me when, like, horrendously p- uh, offensive material comes on. But he didn't do that with any of the John Waters films. <laughs> and so I, I – but I keep trying. I really keep trying to stomach it. And as a registered nurse, I have seen a lot of buttholes in my day. But for some reason, when you slap a jazzy tune over one and it's winking at me – I can't handle it. That, well, that dude's so goddamn happy about it, showing off his asshole. God, how can you be so upset about it? He was so happy at a bow tie on. Everybody talking shit. He looked like he was about to prolapse his rectum. <laughs> That's because he's a pro. I guess. When this opens up a conversation that before we really get into like breaking down the movie, it. it it's an interesting conversation to have about this early John Waters stuff. And it's something that kind of came up last episode was this idea of shock for shock's mm-hmm. sake yeah. and whether or not there's really anything go- more going on in these films than just a succession of cheap, you know, tawdry shocks. And I personally, and I told this to Amanda, said, no, there's much more going on in this film than just shocks. But your reaction outright was that you just saw this as shocks. Well, yeah, there's a lot. There is a couple of moments in particular. And I I get, you know, like last night in our private conversation while we were watching this, we were having a conversation about how he often um, satirizes the American family and kind of satirizes the normative behavior of our culture. And I certainly feel that and it emotes those types of things when you watch this. But then there is the like the chicken rape scene or the um, butthole scene or the scene where she is supposed to be, uh, you know, giving this wonderful gift to her son and giving him (laughs) this like incestuous BJ while they're trying to like filthy up and trash this house. And those that type of thing to me, and I said this to you last night, I find very little, if any at all, artistic value or artistic um, statement within it. And maybe I'll be the first to admit, maybe I'm just too much of a prude to be able to see through that shock and that, and my opinion kind of. Oh, it's just not your taste. Yeah, that kind of frank 
grossness that I'm just like, I'm so turned off by it that I can't even look beyond it. But I don't know. Andrew, what do you what do you think is is going on with some of these scenes? Yeah, because your name actually got brought up last night. I said I have a feeling that there that Andrew is gonna because on the last episode you, you talked a bit about how you did see a, a fair amount of artistic value and statement in some of these kind of shocking scenes. Oh well, I do. I mean, I I think it's a work of of genius. I think it's a, a brilliant movie. You know, he's commenting on on a lot of different aspects and satirizing a lot of things about. Uh, about American culture, uh, about gay culture, about drag culture, uh, you know, about hippie stuff and all of that. But what I, what I think is wonderful is it just how people were getting desensitized to seeing violence in media. And you got to remember, this is what maybe it was while the Vietnam War was still going on. And so uh, his ability to freak people out with things as simple as the elements he's using. This is a guy that doesn't have special effects at his disposal, doesn't have the uh, the tools that someone like Hitchcock or, uh, you know, even at the time, the emerging uh, talents like Lucas and Spielberg, he would have none of that, nothing that you saw in that. And yet his movie can shock and terrify even today's audiences that have seen all of that stuff. And that doesn't speak of a guy who was just trying to freak people out. That speaks of someone who really had his crosshairs set on the people that deserved it the most, you know, and he does it with, I mean, how much simpler can you get than a human asshole? Everyone has it. <laughs> Everyone's seen it. Everyone knows what it is. And yet it's explosive if when used this way, you know, I, I can't help but sit and I'm baffled at it every time I'm going like, all I can do is think back to when that audience seeing that. And I was more shocked at their reaction than I was at anything that I saw. And I was like, God, I need to shake this guy's hand for what he did. You know? Well, it's also a comment on that the fact that all of the shocks speak to something sexual within our culture that is, that is so looked down upon. And he is pushing those buttons because he knows he can push those buttons and he knows that he will get a reaction out of people. And this is something I said to Amanda last night was there is a lot going on inside of Pink Flamingos. I think in general – yeah, it is a cavalcade of depravity, but it also speaks to the narcissistic nature of our culture. Even back then, the need for people to get the spotlight in any way they can, and people will fight each other for any little nugget of notoriety they can, no matter how repulsive it may be. Yeah. And they, in Pink Flamingos in general is about these two families yeah. – one headed by Divine and the other headed by Mink Stoll and David Lockery, where Mink's, uh, Mink Stoll and David Lockery basically kidnap women, impregnate them, keep them in the basement, yeah. and then sell off their babies to lesbian, lesbian couples. It's, it's normal now, kind of. You know? <laughs> and then, it's actually happening. And they are fighting for the, the, the notoriety of being labeled the filthiest people alive from a person that is basically a murderer and rapist and will do anything, including eating dog shit, <laughs> in order to prove it. And, and, and the thing is, she doesn't have to prove it because it's just like enriched. It's like intertwined into every fiber of her being. Now, John Waters with this film, he is taking – 
all of these elements of our fear of sexuality and repressed nature of sexuality within our culture, the the idea of the the family and the narcissistic nature of our star fucking in this culture and ramping it up to clown levels where it's so far out there that it just like everything else he's done, it is a cartoon. And it's it's really hard for me at least to to see those shocks as just simple shocks that are there, even though there is a bit of that punk nature where it's just like eat the eat this fucking bird, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so Steph, what did you what do you think of the shocks in this flick? I don't think Pink Flamingos is that far removed from an art film uh, from Europe of the time. With the the dog shit, I mean, I think it's a lot more than just eating dog shit. You know, it's it's uh, willingness to go wherever you want to go to get a reaction uh, and prove a point. Uh, it, with the sexual nature of everything, uh, that's looked at as a more of a, an artistic thing in Europe. While he's commenting on how afraid of it we are here in uh, you know American culture. So, I mean, while he does go for the, the exploitative route, I think it's in the same bloodline as an art house film of the 70s from you know, Italy or France. I could, you know, even see Pasolini or Fellini making Pink Flamingos in a different style. Oh, yeah. Well, El, El Topo was the year, like two years before. I was Right, there. exactly. Which basically had one of its main characters was, was a naked boy that walked around half of the flick. And Pasolini would make something. <laughs> like Pink right, Flamingos. Exactly. Like, yeah, because uh, Salo was like two or three years after this. Exactly. Where Which had poop eating, but it, it totally wasn't real. did. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, Salo. Oh, good old charming Salo. Now, oh. now, Jeremy, when you, you watch Pink Flamingos, do you see it as more than just a succession of uh, cheap shocks? I saw the movie as John Waters said in an view that he just was looking to have a good time I, he even says in the commentary he really never thought that when seeing this movie because it was a very at the time if it weren't for new york and it weren't for the lifestyle back then but he also said once andy warhol painted the campbell soup cam there was nothing shocking or ironic anymore i think the only reason why this movie has staying power today is because you have the mpaa and you have all the standards and practices this movie, Waters was able to just go out and sell the movie on his own and do whatever he wanted to do. He wanted somebody to eat shit. People vandalized this movie for some reason and said, well, Divine eats shit because you feel shitty or you ate something and you crap it out and you want to eat it again. No, it just Divine wanted to prove how filthy Divine could be. It, it's nothing more than two families – fighting over something as a title that's important to them. And I love how you have one family that, that really doesn't care about the title. They're just, you know, living in, dare I say, peace and harmony in the woods somewhere in a trailer where you have another family that's pretty much out in the open that I don't know how they haven't gotten caught even in the 70s 20 times over, picking up hitchhikers, throwing them in the basement, having their butler fuck them, and then – sell the babies to lesbian couples, which actually back then wouldn't have been such a bad little, you know, business if done better than what, you know, <laughs> doing. I mean, back then lesbian couples. It's a, it's a little cottage industry. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing about it though, I mean, you, you know, gay couples couldn't adopt back then. So how else were you going to do the business? So I kind of, but it, it's just that, 
all it really is at the end of the day are two people fighting or not even fighting. One family is upset that another person is filthier than they are. But in all honesty, I, I'm sure we're going to get to it. But the shocks, I don't see it as shocks. I just see it as 1970s culture, as I recall. It, it, it's just that that's how people were. They were either rebelling or they didn't really think they were making – a statement. They never thought, okay, well, I'm going to dye my hair blue today. No, they just wanted to do it to be to do it. I don't see this as shocking. I just see this as people saying, "F you to the establishment." I mean, multiple maniacs, which I wasn't on, but I, I think that was more shocking because you just have a woman killing people for the sake of killing people, and then all of a sudden a lobster comes out of nowhere and rapes her. That's more shocking. <laughs> that, that that I was. That was really kind of curious about until finally John Waters said, well, people who were dressing up as drag queens were Miss America, and I just wanted to have Divine as Godzilla, which was perfect. But past all of it, no. I, I, I think the most shocking, and this has been discussed really, is when Raymond goes out to the park and flashes people, <laughs> and then he kind of gets out filthed. Uh, a projectionist even said that he had to stop the camera for a minute because he had no idea what was going on. One of my favorite scenes yeah. in the entire movie. It's gotta be where because uh, Raymond, who is who is David Lockery, has a a little side kink where he goes out on his yeah. own and decides to tie, tie to his yeah penis. huge kibasa sausages <laughs> to his dick and, and show women in parks. Kind of a throwback to the shrimper from yeah. Mondo Trasho. Yeah. And he he shows it to a, a couple at the beginning of the movie. Then later in the movie, there's a lady, this beautiful lady that's sitting on a, on a fence, I believe, or a park bench by a tree. And he walks up, you know, already he's got a turkey neck tight around his dick. <laughs> and he opens it up and she just she takes out her tit and is rubbing it. And he's like, oh, no, no. Yeah. And then she, she, of course, opens up her, her dress and she's got a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and starts wiggling it around. And he is so turned off. He is, she has taken the power completely away from him. Well, this is odd because I think later on – here's what I'm not understanding though. You have all these movies, and there was another documentary about midnight movies, and they talked about the scene. They talked about divining the shit. And here's what's interesting, though. You have something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was kind of shocking, and that still is talked about today. You have something like Bachelor Party, which came out 10 years later, where it's a guy who falls in love with a woman at, a ho at the hotel, and then you find out that – she starts to pee standing up that's actually she-male, and that's cold. But you have something like Pink Flamingos that actually shows it, and nobody wants to talk about it. And yet something like Texas Chainsaw, which doesn't show much but it apparently is so shocking, is still talked about. And something like Bachelor Party that just kind of like goes off camera about the she-male but doesn't show everything – is talked about, but Fang Flamingos, people are just like, oh my God, you've gone too far. I'm not quite getting that. I think well, that there's so much in Pink Flamingos. Like that's just that's my very favorite scene too, uh, as well. But there's that's just like the cherry on top of the shit mountain. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think I think you're saying you're really speaking to something there, Angelique. Is that yeah. that I I think. You know, it it is the culmination of the entire piece is because it is just 
one thing after another all the way to the end. Your brain doesn't have an opportunity to recover from the first kind of insult before you get hit with the next one and hit with the next one and hit with the next one and hit with the next one. Well, I don't even think it's just the content. I think it's the way the film is because the film is so colorful. It's so brash with the music that's in it. Um, The acting is so overdone and so over the top where half of the actors are screaming their lines all the time. And the Um, narrator. Oh, that's John Waters. Across town, Located in the teeming metropolis known as downtown Balmer, live Connie and Raymond Marble, two jealous perverts that hate divine's fame and notoriety more than anything in the whole world. For Connie and Raymond Marble, it was the beginning of the end. J- John Waters completely, uh, and here we have divine! <laughs> Hello, Baltimore. <laughs> you know what that was all about. John wanted... John wanted to get this guy who was doing commercials for um, for wigs called Mr. J, and he had like this notorious Baltimore accent. And John went to him and went, "No, it's Mr. Ray." And he went to him and he said, "Mr. Ray, would you narrate the movie?" And the guy was like, "No, absolutely not. Get out." So John Waters just imitated the voice, and now that's why it's called Mr. J, John Waters. But uh, he, you know, back then nobody knew who John Waters was, and even if they did, in all honesty. I don't know somebody like Mr. Ray who's, you know, selling wigs or, you know, the hair plugs would want to narrate something about people fucking chickens and, you know. But it has great line reads when he narrates. I, I mean, I think the best one, especially is towards the end where, uh, you know, Divine and, and Crackers finds the house. It was, you also found your address, asshole. <laughs> okay, this was something that came up multiple times last night, was that uh, Amanda and I decided that if you wanted to, listeners, you wanted to go out and watch, you, you procure Pink Flamingos, which isn't readily available at this time. New Line Cinema had released it years ago on DVD, as uh, Jeremy had said, in double packs and in single packs um, and in box sets. Subsequently, it hasn't been released since probably the early 2000s, I don't think. But if you, right. could, you can find it, there is a, there's an Astro Radio Z drinking game now for Pink Flamingos. Now, every time somebody says the word asshole, drink. you drink. We always said ass, asshole, any um, menagerie of words involving ass. Let's have an outdoor movie night around the campfire with pink flamingos and that will be a drinking game oh my god i don't want to be held responsible i don't want to take out an insurance policy <laughs> on the people that come to my house I to watch a million a- dollar umbrella over the house oh, you, you heard you heard that here first <laughs> listeners of astro radio z come on by to movie fest in sheboygan wisconsin and we'll we'll watch pink flamingos you bring your own booze, yeah. and if you you roll over and croak, well, we'll just push you into the lake, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so so these all these releases of this film, if you can find, you can get your hands on them. They are sub. They are very different from when it was originally released. Now, like uh, the last two movies we had talked about, the music is kind of put together in this film in a similar fashion, where John Waters was pulling b-sides out of his own personal collection and putting them into the film but because pink flamingos became such a uh you know a success in a midnight movie and a phenomenon 
New Line Cinema picked it up and like, we have to distribute this, but we can't get the rights to all these. They had to cut out some of the music. They were able to surprisingly get a lot of the music. And my favorite scene, other than the scene we talked about before, where uh, the transgender lady, you know, yeah. subverts Mr. Lockery's uh, chicken neck or turkey neck, <laughs> turkey neck uh, flashing is the infamous, the girl can't help it. Yes. Scene where Divine comes out and walks down the boulevard, downtown Baltimore, and is just like turns everybody's heads. I'm, I'm so glad they were able to get that uh, little Richard song for that because it is literally in my top three most iconic scenes in all of cinema that I've ever seen. Andrew, you want to talk about this? What do you think about this scene where she's walking down the street all garished with this makeup that makes her look like she's one part disgusting, one part beautiful, one part clown, one part uh, diva? But she's walking down the street and everyone and these are real reactions of people turning around to look at this person and she's just sneering and smiling and strutting her shit. What do you think of this, Andrew? You know, when I uh, when I see it, it makes me think of, you know, that 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 uh, that famous scene in Godard's weekend where it's that long car that traffic jam scene where it's just that one long tracking shot and seeing it's one of the best shots ever filmed. Um, it makes me think of that. It's going the opposite way, though. And to me, that's really, really cool because, you know, obviously they just, uh, you know, it's kind of the, that whole run and gun, the way that a lot of Pink Flamingos feels. You know, they're reciting pages and pages of dialogue in one shot. You know, he doesn't do the cutaways and all that stuff. And so it just adds to, like, the realism of it. And what's so awesome about that is you got to, you got to figure people that saw that were like, this is these aren't actors. These are maniacs that made this movie, and it just you know it just adds to the appeal, the 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 the, the documentary kind of quality. And I think they shot it with um, with like new TV TV cameras or something like that, like ones that were really were really being used to, uh, to do news footage and stuff. So it just God, it makes it feel so authentic. It, it's re- very cinema verite section. I think the sections that there's no dialogue and it's just the music, kind of like the other movies that it does really feel like you're watching somebody's home videos and it really lends an air of like you're watching a documentary as opposed to you're watching some movie and it makes it even more insane because the things these people are doing are so outlandish. That's that's part of what makes me a little uncomfortable during some of those scenes. It's like I stumbled upon my, you know, long lost grandfather's eight track collection this stag movie collection. This stag movie collection. And I'm like, what am I looking at? What is going on right now? <laughs> that would be so cool to find something like that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> what well, I love is the little guy in the grocery store that keeps trying to put stuff up her skirt. To which to which she goes home and cooks that meat that's yeah. been slathering around between her thighs. Yeah, oh, it was marinated in her own home oven and she like rubs on her genitals. I'd eat it. 
<laughs> you and me both. You and I'm me not, both. I'm not scared of nothing like that, man. Divine juices. Divine juices. <laughs> so give you special powers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know what those special powers are. It can, it can make it can turn somebody's house against them. You saw the yeah. powers. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. Yep. No. Our, our house is rejecting us. The couch rejecting There's something us. wrong with the couch. There's one extra shot for no reason of the couch just flipping up again for no, you know, it's just like, fuck y'all. That's the best. Fuck y'all. It's so good. It's so fucking hokey and stupid. Oh, I love it. Dude. I love this movie is so fucking flabbergasting. I, I got a question for everybody. I want to go down the line and I want everybody to give me their favorite character in this film. Mm. Amanda, you go ahead. Without hesitation, Edith Massey's character. The egg lady. The egg lady. It's 1030. Babs, Babs, why isn't the egg man here? I'm starving to death for some eggs. Please, Babs, come in and give me some eggs. Oh, Babs, I'm starving to death. Hasn't that Eggman come yet? I love that Eggman so much. No, he hasn't come yet, Mama. But we still have some eggs. Now you just sit tight and I'll fry you up some big grade A treats. Over light today, Mama? Oh, no, Babs, no. It's sunny out today. I want them sunny side up. You know how I like them, Babs. You know how I like them. I know how you like them, Mama. I'll be right back. 100% over the top. This is how I was introduced to Edith Massey, was as the egg lady. And I fell in love the second I saw her. What is it about the egg lady? It's so ridiculous and foolish. She's sitting in a pack and play cram and eggs and she's obsessed with them and she loves the egg man and oh, the egg man. And she's just so wild about it and so it's all she talks about yes and it's so silly and she's there's something about the aesthetic of edith massey that i that i love too if she's my profile picture on my fitbit profile (laughs) (laughs) yeah well, what I, I think it's hilarious about it is is that if you you break it down you want to get deep about it she is the grandmother of this yeah. family, yeah. but she is essentially the child. Yes. Because she's basically, she acts like a baby. She's an invalid, she, yeah. She, she sits and eats eggs, and that's all she thinks about. She, I want the, I want the brown I want ones. The white and ones. The white ones. Oh, I want all of them, Eggman. Babs, where do eggs come from? From little chickens, Mama. They lay them and we eat them. But suppose someday there weren't any chickens. Would that mean there wouldn't be any eggs? Oh, I don't think you have to worry about that, Mama. But is it true, Babs? If there weren't any chickens, there wouldn't be any eggs. Is that true? (laughs) I suppose so, Mama, but there will always be chickens. You can be sure of that. But suppose someday it happens. Suppose someday there weren't any chickens. Oh, Babs, what could I possibly do? And then the Eggman wouldn't have, he wouldn't have a job? It might happen, Babs. What could I do? <laughs> and she's, I love that scene where she's just smearing them all over her face. They're stuck all over her knockers and everybody's like, what the heck is going on? Oh, God. And the scene where she marries the Eggman? 
Come on. That's amazing. What are you? Okay. So, so here we go. This is the real juxtaposition here. Right. You love that scene. I do. But are you telling me you don't want the asshole man at your wedding? Because that was essentially a wedding. The party oh, was a wedding. No, it was Divine's birthday party. But it was also the Eggman. The Eggman was meeting, was marrying his love. <laughs> with the, with the with Papa the um, Mau Mau. Derek and I were joking around when we watched this movie last night that should we ever get married that I would wear what Edith Massey wore. <laughs> and I'll be the Eggman. And you'll be the Eggman. Oh, please oh, do that. So good. Please dude. do that. And I'll uh, chip in on the uh, <laughs> the dairy farm honeymoon. <laughs> you and, can have all the eggs you want. Okay, I'm making this declaration on Astro Radio Z right now. You can hold me to it. Should we ever have a, some form of John Waters uh, egg Eggman chicken lady? themed wedding <laughs> don't get your hopes up after but... my parents leave there could be a winking asshole <laughs> you heard it here first folks oh that would be so great if he took requests well, I am. yeah if you you know you are somebody or know of someone who has an asshole that can perform the feats that are featured within pink flamingos get a hold of me at astro radio z podcast at gmail.com uh, taking no i'm not taking submissions because i I'm know you guys send video or, or or no yeah. proofs <laughs> send them to mark the movie man on facebook <laughs> also can double as a fondue fountain Yes. <laughs> oh jesus christ oh let's let's transition that and, and move on seth what's your favorite character i'm with amanda it's the egg lady ah! <laughs> she's just so bizarre and i do, don't understand what put her in that state how was she the matriarch of a family <laughs> at any point yeah at what point did she revert to this right exactly i you know what where's the father where was her husband or what did he do to put her in this state there's what? so many unanswered questions about edith massey as the egg lady <laughs> uh, angelique what what are your suppositions as to how she got to this state she gave birth to divine <laughs> and it just made her wacko yeah just it all divine just i mean that would make me insane if that came out of me because you know divine just came out fully formed there was no baby it was just how there's this eyeshadow thing whoa she's right. that big she came out yeah, that I'd big like egg, please <laughs> Like an egg, please. <laughs> <laughs> Too much cholesterol. It brined her brains, pickled her brains, yeah. all the cholesterol. Maybe. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, two votes for Edith Massey. Yes. Andrew Shearer. Uh, mine's Connie Marble, played by Mink Stoll. Well, Miss Sandstone, after looking over your qualifications, my husband and I have decided that you're not exactly what we had in mind for the job. Not only have you never heard of Divine, which is one of the key elements for this particular job, but you also seem to show a lack of general experience. And to be honest, we feel you are sort of a dullard. Yes. I, he just, uh, I had a, I had a good, one of the first people I ever interviewed as a journalist was, uh, was Mink Stoll. And we talked for like two hours. And, uh, you know, I, she, she just, for some reason, man, out of all the roles she played, she felt some kind of closeness to Connie Marble. And I, I also, you can tell it in the way she delivers the lines. This is a side of herself that she was able to 
get out through this character but the way she because a lot of people in in uh, john waters early movies have a certain cadence to the way they read the lines da, 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 da. you know what i mean it's all yeah, this like, totally really kind of, you know he calls it the theater of the ridiculous but it's just like you know almost like like a like a play at school or something the way they do it but uh the part you can eat shit for all i care miss sandstone or eat anything that you like or do anything that you like just don't assume that i want to know your troubles now if you wouldn't mind i'm a busy woman with a full day's work ahead of me please remove yourself from my office you're a real cunt do you know that a real fucking cunt how can you be so shitty to people how can you stand yourself i guess there's just two kinds of people miss sandstone my kind of people and assholes it's rather obvious which category you fit into have a nice day it's like the way the voice goes up and down yeah. oh, i could just listen to that all day yeah. and she's hot she's so hot with that kool-aid hair she's got son of a bitch yeah she's very hot in this and then of course eat a fucking bird bitch That's eat the bird yeah. bitch <laughs> it's the coolest it's so I don't know. I just remember her saying that, like, I was like, well, what do you have as far as advice for people that want to, you know, to do this kind of stuff? And she's like, you got to leave your house. That's what you got to do. It's all about meeting people, you know? And I still tell people that all the time. Yeah, she's awesome in this movie. Jeremy, favorite character? God, so many. I would have to go with the star, Divine, because... I just love the line read towards the end where somebody asks, like, Do you believe in God? I am God. You are God. You are God. <laughs> this is possibly one of the greatest characters ever that, even in the deleted scenes, again, if you can get your hands on the special edition, where Divine just wakes up one morning and is recording her memoirs and going like how she knew she was born perfect and blessed to be ambient of everything good and decent in the world. The fact that Divine has the power to not blackmail the media but to force the media to come and watch a live homicide and threaten to kill the families of the media if they do not print the story on the front page to me is just awesome right there. You can't get publicity like that, folks. You have to call and beg and plead to put anything that you want. I mean, you, you could with a podcast independently, but if you want something major, like the way the Divine does, especially one of the best scenes when she gets to turn the mail and how angry she's getting, and, and, and with such the conviction, the monologue, like how it's an attack on her divinity and, and how she demands revenge, or like when the postman comes, just like she grabs him by the balls. And goes, if you ever deliver any piece of parcel mail or package here, I will personally disembowel you. I mean, she is not someone you want to fuck with. And the fact how she's able to put a curse on somebody's house, fuck her own son while doing it, and save these two women in the basement and mutilate Channing the butler all at the same time, divine to me is my hero. Fuck Wonder Woman, you got divine. <laughs> Amen. You, <laughs> I haven't fallen in love with anyone in three whole days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dressed oh. up and ready to fall in love. <laughs> That's the best right there, yeah. 
man. There's there's real. It's really hard for me to pick out anyone. So I'm gonna leave it up to you guys because honestly, I love every. I think I fall more in line with Andrew, where I, I think David Lockery and Mink Stoll kill me every scene that they're in. Absolutely kill me. I am laughing so much every time they're on screen. Angelique, what's your favorite? Channing. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> Channing. Oh God! I mean, he's he's not only is he put upon, but he's also creative and inventive with the way that he, uh, you know, invents that way that he doesn't have to touch the girls, and 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 his mimicry of of Connie and Raymond and their frantic, shrimpy lovemaking, you know, it's it's pure Shakespeare. That was that was really funny, and he puts that little hokey yarn wig on his head. Except for the blue wig. <laughs> I was only playing, Raymond. Well, I, I was, was just playing, playing, I promise. I didn't mean no harm. <laughs> I just no. I knew I could never be you. I, I just wanted to pretend to be you. The girls are screaming in the face. I mean, come on. How can you not compare this? Or how can this not be the family twice removed from the Sawyer family. This is probably one of the greatest families ever in cinematic history, how fucked up they are. The fact that they have a butler, and the butler, I don't know where they found him or how he's able to impregnate women after just, like, masturbating your hand and using a turkey baster. <laughs> a little tiny syringe like those yeah. syringes you find for, for kids' medicine. It's essentially the same thing. I love the movie freaks though, where they pick up the hitchhiker, and once they bring her in, it's just like, like, like they don't even go into the true colors and twenty minutes later or anything, like a different Strokes episode with Kimberly and Arnold. No, it's like as soon as they get the girl in the car, they're ready to just like, you know, gas her or formaldehyde her or whatever, and just like knock her out and put her right into the basement and have Channing fuck her. I, I thought the line reads of that were great, how weird they're like, we actually get in this car, at a car dealership, where do you think? And she's trying to get out of the car, and she's like, well, what, I, we thought you wanted to go downtown, and like, all of a sudden, they're trying to get, the, you know, the not well, from out, they had chloroform. All of a sudden, like, you could just get chloroform down the street, and I just love how they just grab it while she's trying to escape from the car, and they just, like, knock around, they're just, like, throwing it down here. And, and I love that the basement, you have these two women they're just down there, like wearing, I guess, what is it, potato sacks or whatever. <laughs> and they're just like, they give this monologue like they haven't eaten whatever for days, and one of the girls is already dead. And uh, God, it, it's probably the most fucked up thing I ever saw back then. They just have these two women in the basement who are on drugs and they're screaming and yelling, and nobody's saying a word. Nobody's like overhears that these two women are in the basement are getting fucked by a butler. And their babies are being sold by lesbian couples. Except for she calls him a dingleberry and it makes you laugh. So it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is something that I try to explain to people that come to me and ask me, well, what is it that's even remotely appealing about the, these movies, these early John Waters movies? And it's to me, they reside in a world completely of their own. They don't reside in reality. So trying to break down and think about, well, how would this actually happen? And these people would get caught and da da da. It, no, this is a complete farce. Everything about it, these people live in a their own reality, just like a multiple maniacs 
where the improbable setup where this roaming cavalcade of perversions are going around and, you know, showing people licking (laughs) bicycle seats and all this other shit while they're horking down cheeseburgers. Uh, the the probability of this happening is very small in reality, but in John Waters' world, this is the norm. Yeah. That's hey, what I love. love. That's what I love about this. Oh, are you are you saying to me right now, Seth Bowlin, who lives in uh, Baltimore, folks? If you don't remember, this is this happens every day in Baltimore, nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know where our next vacation is going to be. <laughs> I wasn't far from Baltimore, and in all honesty, John Waters was almost like a hop, skip, and jumping away. But I never got to meet him when I would go to Baltimore. I would go to the sites because there were times where um, not this – not I don't think it was Crackers, or maybe it was Crackers, or I think it's uh, the next one, Gator, who would throw a tourist because I think Crackers – he claims that he's upset that John Waters never took him on to other movies. John claims he tried to get crackers and crackers didn't want to come back. I don't know what the story is, but crackers for a while, like the way Kramer, the real life Kramer in New York would show people the sites of Seinfeld crackers would show you the sites of where they did things with pink flamingos. It was kind of interesting, but again, it, it, it's he, he, times he could just be a little bitter about the stuff. I, I can't blame him, but I don't think anybody really got rich off this movie. Well, if if you go by IMDb, they say that this was made for about ten thousand dollars, and then netted its gross is about one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. You know, it's made more than that subsequently. Yes, gee. Well, I'm sure in its initial run. Oh, well, think about inflation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the movie tickets weren't as much back in the early seventies, so much much different beast back then. Yeah. And I guess with again, if here, here's how I just did the research right now. The special edition you can't find that's rare out of print unless you want to spend like a hundred dollars for it. They do have a bare bones edition, but what's interesting about the special edition, and we really haven't talked about Crackers too much because Crackers is in a world of his own. But there's a great scene and a great line read where he does a home invasion. Where you know they do kill Cookie the Spy, and he calls um, what was it, um, Cotton? Yeah, Cotton. That, that's what it was it. He calls her cunt eyes. So I, I I think Crackers. I don't know. I almost want to put him as my favorite character. I don't know where you could really put him. He. I mean, the name says it all. Why does he fuck somebody with chickens? John just thought it was about fetishes and bestiality, and just you know you never saw it before because. He felt that the only way you can watch pornography is if you went to, you know, pornography store, but you didn't see anything on fetishes, so I'll show you fetishes, which is, you know, and then afterwards, after they fucked the chicken, they ate it. But they don't do much with crackers, unfortunately, in, in the bare bones more with the deleted. I mean, I think he's in the beginning. He has a lot of voiceless scenes towards the end, and, of course, there's the home invasion where he gets his, you know gets a blowjob from Divine, but it's a shame that they can't show those scenes. Maybe if you go on YouTube, but it's really the most bizarre thing you've ever seen from this character. We alluded to it in a previous episode where this was kind of the last of 
the quote-unquote Dreamlanders films. This is the the main cast of the Dreamlanders. A bunch of them kind of fall off. If you're a fan of the book Shock Value, there's a lot of people that this is kind of where they cut off. And it's it's no wonder that uh, Pink Flamingos is going to be the movie that John Waters is remembered for more so than Hairspray or any of this other stuff. I really think this is his defining time. It's because this was the movie that they were working toward. And you see elements of it in some of its later work, definitely. And, it, you know, I think I mentioned before that he kind of was making the same movie and over, over again for the most part. Uh, but this is what I would consider ultimate. This is before everybody kind of fell off. This is before Divine, you know, was so huge that eventually wasn't in his movies anymore and then died. So uh, if there was one definitive Dreamlanders movie, it's got to be Pink Flamingos, doesn't it? It absolutely does, because directly right after this, I think if if we wanted to say the early John Waters period, it cuts off at polyester. And really, within that span, there's one movie that Divine isn't in, which is A Desperate Living. And then there's only one film after this period that she is in before she died. And... David Lockery, he he died of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm, yeah. After yeah, he this died one. after Female Trouble. That was the last one he was in. He kind of plays um, one of the Marbles' other cousins, I guess, but the only difference is it's a different outcome, which I'm not going to get too much if you haven't seen it. But Desperate Living, that was the one where Mink was the star. And that, I think, for me, was – the cutoff because the set that I have, it has pink flamingos and female trouble and then desperate living in polyester. And as much as I like polyester, this is where they changed the vine all around. It's like David Lockery had passed after female trouble. Um, Edith Massey, as you know, was having some health issues. I know she passed a few years later. I think she lived up until like 88, 87, 88, but after Desperate Living, John just ran out of ideas of what he could do to be trashy, and I guess he just decided to make something normal and make Divine, you know, loving mother, and then, you know, eight years later came up with Hairspray, and that was pretty much it. Well, I, I still stand by thinking polyester is part of this early period because a lot of the same kind of re- rebellious, anarchic spirit is running, and Edith Massey is in polyester as well she has a great role in polyester actually she's great in that i mean it's pretty much the egg lady that came into money but and and has a pet skunk but edith massey's greatest role if you think she's great as the egg lady nothing compares of what she's gonna see when you see her at desperate living as (laughs) because the fact that she's the queen in 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 wartville to me, that is her best, her best line reads, her best performance. It, it, it it's amazing how it kept topping and top. I mean, it, it's okay as well in, in female trouble, but there's something just to see her as the queen. I like her as Aunt Ida because that part where they lace her up in that like leather outfit or whatever. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah, Aunt Ida. Yeah. Looking, looking pretty good right there. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, let's leave all that stuff for the future episodes, folks, before we go down the rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, I think of this early period, Pink Flamingos will always be the pinnacle. It is the true Dreamlanders movie. If you hear of Dreamlanders, this is the film that mostly is referred to. And to, to be honest, of the early era, this is this is my favorite of the films. It, it slays me every single time I watch it. And I I watched it so many times and it never gets old. None of the none of the the jokes, none of the act, the overacting, which I absolutely love. It's a vibrant looking movie. I think if we we kind of touched upon it last episode where we had talked about how John Waters was starting to come into his own with his camera work, he is still running the camera and directing and doing just about everything with these movies. Um I think the camera work in Pink Flamingos is actually really well done and really interesting. Uh, Seth, what do you think of the camera work in this? I think you can definitely see his uh, the natural progression from Multiple Maniacs into this. And uh, it just seems a little bit more polished, I guess, or natural. He seems a lot more comfortable behind the camera. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's go ahead and, and go down the line and up to this point. Amanda, what do, you, what do you think so far in our John Waters journey? Do you think Pink Flamingos is probably the standout for you so far of these three films? Well, yeah, and I think that uh, overwhelmingly it, for some reason, is a little bit more palatable than the other films, and I don't necessarily know why that is. I, is it, I is want... it because of the technique? Yeah, I think that's probably it. It it still holds its real kind of grittiness to it, but it's it is a little bit more refined. I think that it because it's just so wacky and that whole the idea of these two families trying to be the filthiest around, yet somehow Divine's grossed out by somebody sending her a turd. I, you know, it's a, it's just wacky and goofy and silly, and it makes it really funny to me. And so I, I think I like it the best out of the others we've seen so far. Well, I think it's the most That's overt sure. comedy yes. film. Yes. It, it, it very much speaks to what he subsequently would go toward. Yeah, it's really campy. Yeah. There's a lot of camp value, and I really like campy movies. So I think that's probably what makes it more palatable. But just give me two seconds to say thank you to Andrew. I'm just reflecting for a couple of moments on what we were talking about earlier about the artistic value versus just for shocks and blah, blah, blah. And Andrew, I hadn't really thought about it this way. Why is somebody's asshole puckering at me more offensive to me than the stuff that takes place in other films that I've seen? And frankly, in things that I see at work of what people are doing to one another and what I see on the news and what I see in other films that was just horrible and horrendous. Why is this happened to be so horribly offensive to me that I like cover my eyes? Is it, is it possibly because um, you're enjoying something and then you, you get yeah. kind of lulled into a, a, a safe place? Yeah, that's probably it. Actually, that's probably it because I find myself laughing a lot during pink flamingos and then all of a sudden it's like i'm smacked in the face with something that i find and i think it's oftentimes associated with sexual violation that i'm like Ugh, and i just wriggle away from it i think the interesting aspect of that is none of these people find this stuff disgusting in this movie right. these acts are perfectly okay and thumbs up in their book 
So there's no one being violated except for oh, those no, chickens. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, well, the chickens, right. right. Well, and Cookie. And Cookie. And Cookie. And she cookie. didn't, Cookie didn't like it very much. She didn't like it. Really no. participant. You know, I don't know. So thank you, Andrew, for bringing that disparity to my attention. Oh, hey, all right. I made some sense. That was awesome. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I should also point out that Derek said some people look down on it. I have to mention others do use a mirror. <laughs> Bravo. Oh, I am left speechless yet again on my podcast, folks. <laughs> is it is it more shocking than Divine getting raped half in and out of that alleyway in Multiple Maniacs? See, I thought that was funny because I didn't even really know what was going on. I thought they were trying to hold her down and make her sniff glue. I didn't know what the hell was happening. <laughs> How we even talked about that, that it's just like a quasi-rape scene. I don't understand why there's... there. And I think as we watch these movies, there's a couple of themes that stand out to me that are confusing. There's a lot of rape. There's a lot of rape in all of these movies. And there's a lot of shrimping. Yes. Multiple maniacs, multiple maniacs. Okay, wait, it will come to me. What? The rosary job, babe. I know the rosary job. <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> but even still, I got anal beads as a birthday gift once. Do you want, me to, edit? Do you want me to edit that out of this episode? <laughs> no, it was a joke. It was a joke. They were given to me as a joke, and I actually used them as a cat toy for a real <laughs> Okay, here's the real question, folks. How many people here on this panel have used cat, have used anal beads for cat toys? Uh, Seth Pollard. Cat toys. Never on purpose. Dog, so. I, I got nothing. <laughs> so, and, Angelique, walking out the other side so far, what's been your favorite film of the three we've watched so far? Of the three, I mean, I I mean, Pink Flamingos is is the pinnacle, but I think the one I've I've really enjoyed the most was Multiple Maniacs, um, just because it was like the precursor to all this. Like it had it, Multiple Maniacs could have been Pink Flamingos if the time had been right. I think. Seth, uh, definitely Pink Flamingos, but like Angelique said, Multiple Maniacs really caught me off guard with how good it was but pink flamingos i think is always going to be the the quintessential top of the mountain john waters film for me uh, it's sexy it's repulsive it's shocking and funny it's it's everything jeremy when you when you think of pink flamingos give give your final thoughts on on pink flamingos in general and in where you come out in the grand scheme of the first three films of john waters filmography you know it's funny i still haven't had a chance to see monto trash i've been searching for it and searching for it multiple maniacs i have next to me i just got out of dumb luck one day at a capitol records in new york but pink flamingos it's not because it's in color but it's just that I like Divine more in this than in the last one. In the last one, Divine just seemed to be somebody who you knew in New York that just couldn't handle their high and really didn't care about the establishment, was just like 
on probably the worst acid trip ever and you couldn't talk that person down and you were scared to death of that person. I don't have that issue with Pink Flamingos because I feel that you don't have to play daddy and you don't have to be in the acid trip. You just are observing two people that are trying to vie for a title that at the end of the day, two people care about it more than the other person. And if they just not kick the horn's nest, they wouldn't be in the predicament that they would have been at the end of the movie where they're tarred and feathered and shot to death. I really appreciate this story. And I love the fact how at the end of the day, Divine ironically is so humble that she and Cotton and Crackers don't care about titles. They just they want to go to Boise, Idaho now and live in bathroom lavatories to increase their filth and they don't care who they tell and they're not really they're they're, they're not even trying to advertise. I mean, again, deleted scene, she is kind of getting her hands on wanted posters and saying like, oh, this one's terrible and that one's horrible. But the fact that she's out in the open threatening to kill reporters if they don't print stories and every, you know, having these wild parties, I would have loved to be at that wedding. I would have loved to just go out there and see the pig's head and have her munch on it and everything. It is such a great party movie. It's bright. It's colorful. It's in your face. And she wears that dress well towards the end. That, that Jessica Rabbit dress, as a matter of fact, in the Broadway production of Hairspray, Harvey Firestein wore that dress towards the end in, in, in the live production. And I, and I thought that was great, but Divine wore it better. So at the end of the day so far, I love black and white movies, and I love the soundtracks that John did, and I love the fact that John got his 45s like I used to and used to play the B-sides and create a great soundtrack. But Pink Flamingos, I think, wins the title because it's – again, it's like Divine. It's not trying to be the best. It just happens to win by technical knockout just out of – not out of dumb luck, but just because it's not trying to win. And I think because it's not trying so hard like the last two or at least – like Multiple Maniacs was trying way too hard. This one is just simple, and we get an encore with what Divine will do and what can Divine do after, you know, giving a blowjob to her son or murdering cops or putting a stake between her legs. What does she do for an encore? She waits for a dog to take a shit. She walks up, she eats the shit, and just smiles, and that's pretty much it. That sums up the character. So and that sums up the movie and that sums up my satisfactory. But no, that's very interesting stance because I find multiple maniacs to be actually something that's a pretty focused film. And I don't think it's actually trying that hard to be offensive. I just think it is <laughs> where, where I thought she was. I thought with Pink Flamingos, there was a real concerted effort to poke a lot of buttons. Um, Andrew, at the end of the day, what do you think? Do you think uh, Pink Flamingos uh, goes over the edge? Uh, no, I think it's a, a beautiful collection of interesting people, and you know that are, you know, we're all friends, and they're. It, it, it's also a very inspiring movie for people that make art because he's he's has he has these this great result of just a celebration of individuality and uniqueness and weirdness and, and uh, oddball behavior. And it's all the, just the result of, of uh, this, collecting those people 
and them all trying their hardest to make something. And they've got the most basic elements you can. And what's neat about it is um, as time goes on and as more tools are available to artists and filmmakers, the same basic rules still apply. I love watching Pink Flamingos before I make something because it reminds me of just like, I don't know, like, a, you know, a kind of back to basics feeling where you go, all right, well, look what they did with what they had. Kind of know that you'll never be able to do that consciously. But just to kind of do your own thing and have faith in your own, you know, I, I think I said it on your show, your your own uniqueness is, is what you need to concentrate on. And God, if nothing can be said about Pink Flamingos, it is still just such a unique collection that my the appeal always to me is going to be all those faces and voices, you know, always. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think this film is so inspiring. I think there's elements of it that um, showcase a, a more refined side of John Waters coming into his own as a filmmaker. But at the same time, there's still a lot of that renegade guerrilla uh, filmmaker uh, showcasing through where you can tell the scenes where he stole <laughs> those shots where it looks oh God, like the, the night of the living dead and blood feast stuff in the party with all the gore when they eat the cops <laughs> those are like straight out of night of the living dead and blood feast absolutely yeah. man even said that last night while we were watching it that those were his words too oh, yeah. you know they were dude those he was into yeah. that stuff yeah absolutely so to to me i i think of any of the films we've watched so far and honestly for me any of the films we'll watch in this early period, Pink Flamingos is the 100% must-see film. If you haven't seen this film and you're a cult film fan, do it right now. Nothing we had said is a spoiler to this film because nothing will ever prepare you, no matter how much warning we give you, no matter how much we spoil, we, we pick apart, we can tell you beat by beat everything that happens in this film, but the moment it comes on, yeah. it will still slap you across the face and you will not be ready for it. Honestly, it's a one of a kind film that must be seen by every cult film fan. And, and if you're looking for a fan of uh, film, and I know there are those of you out there that are like this, you have some people that won't leave your fucking house. They're at a party for so goddamn <laughs> long. They won't leave the motherfucker. Toss pink flamingos on if they're easily offended and get rid of their ass because this film will chew them up and spit them out. So, folks, thank you for listening to another John Waters episode on Astro Radio Z. This is the part of the show where we shamelessly shield the fuck out of you. Mr. Jeremy, you first. Go ahead and let my listeners know where they can find you and your wares. Hunter Galcast, Facebook.com, Hunter Galcast. We have two group pages for friends and family and fans, which is group page, Facebook, The Hunter Galcast. And of course, the Hunter Galcast Podcasters Cafe. If you're a fan of podcasts, if you want to hawk your podcast, you know, anything you want to, anything at all for your podcast, Hunter Galcast Podcasters Cafe is for you. Also, we are on Twitter at HunterGalCast, and of course, HunterFeedback at gmail.com. We are working on our website and our WordPress, and we're working diligently right now because Season 3 will be up this September, but we have two very special bonus episodes for you, the listener, that I think are really going to be 
Oh, sweet and sour over uh, the controversial Ghostbusters. And, of course, one that's going to leave a smile on our face, The Killing Joke. We found that it's coming out July 25th in select theaters. You're going to be getting that a few weeks early before season three comes out. We were going to lead up to it, but you are going to be getting The Killing Joke rather early. So smiles all around. Cool. Thank you for coming on, Oh, thank you, guys. Hope to come back someday. Got a lot to say about those other John Water movies. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Mr. Seth Paulin, go for it. Uh, you can find me at Celluloid Terror, uh, CelluloidTerrorBlogspot.com, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that for horror, cult, exploitation, film reviews, rants, bitching, uh, news, all that kind of thing. All fun stuff. Miss Angelique Bone. All right, um, well, just find me on the Facebook, so I mostly do my own thing, but uh, you can check out thelosthighway.com, where myself and some other really cool cats write some crazy movie reviews. Awesome. Last but not least, Mr. Gonzarevic, go for it, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for having me on here. You guys are great. I love listening to you. I love listening to Astro Radio Z. It's always an honor and a privilege. Uh, my name is Andrew Shearer. If you like... Dookie and fart jokes and big boobs and other kinds of boobs and ghosts and monsters and vampires and zombies and lesbians and Satan and everything. You can find those in the movies that my friends and I make, much like John and his buddies. We try to pattern ourselves after that, but try also strike out on our own with all these elements that you heard. Um, www.gonzorific.com. You can buy all the DVDs with all the extras and stuff. Or... Amazon On Demand, you can uh, rent some of these fine films such as Fake Blood, Pajama Nightmare, Mondo Gonzo, The Underground Cinema, Cinema with an S, and the newest one, Late Night Cable. And if you don't want to spend any money on anything, go to YouTube. There's tons and tons and tons of short films you could watch, including me playing Cary Grant, taking LSD, and seeing a ghost with no pants on. Thank you, everybody. Now, everybody... Let's let's end this episode right on three. Let's all say eat shit. One, two, three. Eat, eat shit. shit. How much is that dog in the window? The one with the waggly tail. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. He won't be lonesome And the doggy will have a good home How much is that doggy?